Welcome to the New Age Archwan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we begin our discussion on another great Bagua master. Uh, this is Ma Gui, a.k.a. Ma Shir Jing, um, a.k.a. Wood Ma. We talk about uh, Ma's early life, his training with Yin Fu and Dung Hai Chuan. Uh, then we talk about his teaching style, and we take directly from Leo Hung Jae's accounts of training with uh, Ma uh, when Ma lived with Leo Hung Jae. In our Patreon, we continue our series on the spiraling energy body qigong. We get into the nuts and bolts of spiraling a little bit, um, what the process is for creating the spirals and linking the spirals to your lower dandian. Um, so check that out and hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support and take care. Welcome to the Nei Jiaquan podcast with Isaac and Jess. We're continuing our look at the great masters of the Bagojong tradition. Um, today we wanted to talk about a pretty well-known figure in the Bagua world known as Ma Gui. He's one of the more famous Bagua students and we became interested in him um, in reading uh, The Power of Internal Martial Arts. It talks a lot about him and his relationship with uh, Grandmaster Leo Hung Jae. And Grandmaster Leo Hung Jae is, was at the center of uh, sort of this time period in China and Beijing when when a lot of great martial artists were coming through and a lot of martial arts innovation was happening. And I think Ma Gui was a huge influence on him and his teacher, Liu Zen Lin. And so we wanted to dig into his history and talk a little bit about his training. And uh, why don't I pull from a Bagua Journal, December 1993, has an article about Ma Gui. Yin Fu's top Baguazhang student was Ma Gui. He was born in 1853 and lived to 1940. And just like to take a second there, Isaac, that's a pretty amazing lifespan from 1853. So that's basically the time of the gold rush all the way to 1940. It's just striking me now that that's why his name comes up so much when people talk about Bagua, because he was there the whole time. He knew the grandmaster, the founder of the art, Dong Ai Chuan. He was there for that time period and then survived long enough to, to meet people up until 1940 i mean that's that's people of our grandparents generation so that's quite amazing to even even think about that um but going back to 1850s uh ma was thin and weak when he was young and did not like to talk very much his nick his family was in the woodworking business and thus he was known as wood ma he began studying baguajan from yin fu when he was 18 years old Although Ma is listed as Yin Fu's student, he also had the opportunity to study a bit with Dong Ai Chuan, and thus Ma's name is listed on Dong's original gravestone. One year there was a New Year's celebration and many students and grand students came to pay their respects to Dong. Ma Gui was a small, strange looking man. When Dong saw Ma, he said, you look strange. Who are you and what do you do? Ma told Dong who he was and that he liked to paint crab shells and sold them as ornaments. Tung said, Dong said, I'm going to teach you the crab palm. He taught Ma Gui this one palm, and it became his trademark. Ma Gui was known for attacking an opponent by striking with the back of his wrist, and he was also highly skilled at Dian Shui, point striking or death touch. 
It is said that Dong Ai Chuan lived in Ma Gui's home for a short period of time after he left the palace of Prince Su. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of crab palm techniques. Nope. <laughs> That's new one to me. But it must have something to do with striking points where you like hit the vulnerable pressure points on somebody's body. But I guess, and so it says here that Dong and Ma live together. So that means, uh, you know, the story always is like Dong Ai Chuan died, I believe, 1883. And he left the palace 10 years before he died. So that would be the 1870s, somewhere in there. Says uh, later in his career, Ma worked as a guard at Prince Su's palace. So it sounds like that's who Dong Ai Chuan had worked for. So Ma went to work for him as a guard and was hired to guard the presidential residence after the establishment of the Republic. Wow. So he went to working from the Qing dynasty emperor to the Republic of China president. Must, yeah, must have been pretty good. <laughs> good. Good bodyguards are hard to come by. I guess. Right. Just switch sides when the uh, time comes. <laughs> so then going on from there, 1919, he was hired to teach martial arts to the military. In 1928, he was hired as a senior advisor to the Hubei Martial Arts Academy. That's the same period of time when Liu Hongjie entered the armed forces as well. Right. And that's that period where all of those martial arts associations are forming and the beginnings, of, yeah. beginnings of the Guoshuguan are starting to take, you know, root. And I think he was one of the initial kind of heads of that whole movement. Yeah, he must have been pretty influential. And in another reason why we hear so much he about a, him in the I, I think he taught in a police. Hmm. Uh, academy or something as well huh. yeah so maybe having him around was like prestigious so people would try to get him involved with yeah i mean I their martial arts badass who could you know was good at training people so, right you know. must have been this is that he made period. it this far well well he's one of those people that made the transition from you know martial arts as a military thing to martial arts as a quote-unquote sort of civilian thing because you know by the you know, in the 1870s, 1880s, right. mar martial arts were still used as a form of bodyguard Battlefield. protection. Yeah. By the it, 19, you know, 15, 1920, firearms are in play and you don't need to pay, you know, seven guys to protect your your convoy. You can just get one guy with a rifle and he can, you know, do the job. Do it, yeah. So, um, martial artists had a new had to find a new form of income and that was you know this sort of bodyguard civilian work and and just sort of the things that people who know how to fight do you know yeah and of the 1920s there was a lot of fighting going on so he was clearly in uh in need you know right and also for like you know if you want to train military and like police people a good place to start is to find people who have actually fought you know and and then you take them and you say okay we'll teach our guys how right to what works so, what's proven effective especially if they're you know good at uh sort of distilling it down to just application and it sounds like Ma, you know from all accounts Magui was very much a a scrapper yep so it says here, although Magui was highly skilled, he seldom taught his students thoroughly. Some say that Magui was a very conservative teacher, while others say he did not teach deeply because none of his students met his high requirements. Although a lot of students got bits and pieces from Magui, it is said that only a few, if any, got all of Ma's complete art. And that tracks a little bit with what, they, what uh, 
Bruce Francis says in The Power of Journal Martial Arts, where Leo Hung Jae met this guy later in life and, and was coached and like taught by him, but not as his not as his official student, but as a mentor and advisor kind of. I think it's Liu Jinglin went to some to Magui and said, you know, I want to learn with you. And he said, nah, you ain't ready yet, son. And recommended that he go find Liang Zaiwen. And so he went and trained with this other guy for a bit and then he came back. And then Magui was like, all right, well, now I'll try, now I'll, you know, sort of tune you up a little bit. So I think there was a community of these guys where it was like, all right, well, if you can prove yourself to that guy, I'll I'll take you under my wing. Mm. And I so Magui was more, I think, of a uh, became kind of like a finishing school for a right. lot of these guys. Like PhD level. You've already gone through your main schooling yeah. before you get to him. I mean, my guess is, you know, of those reasons, it was it was all of the above, right? That he, he uh, didn't teach a lot of people more, probably because it doesn't serve you much to like put a whole lot of effort into something if you're not going to get much back. Right. And so I think from his point of view, it was like, what's the point of me, you know, spending 20 years teaching one person when I can just kind of spread my thing around and give a little bit here, a little bit there and not be kind of locked into a particular you know situation sure sort of that that the the free agent and i think uh leo duquan was like that too you know they just kind of were able to move freely in these different groups because they may have had their their really close disciples but they were also helping other people's students reach a higher level and very few of their own students and as you mentioned those those two guys were both technically students of the founder so they had a sort of street cred that uh, allowed them to cross between yeah. groups. Much, well, that, that, yeah. That's what I'm saying is that they were kind of this upper echelon. Exactly. The rules don't quite apply to them. you know. Right. So now I'd like to turn to The Power of Internal Martial Arts by BK Francis, 1998. We have a section here in the back where he profiles Leo Hung Jae. And in that profile, he discusses his, some of his teachers. Now I'd like to turn to the section where Grandmaster Leo Hung Jae meets and learns from Ma Gui. After the original school disbanded, Liu continued to learn from the people he had met there for another decade. Zhu Wenbao initially taught Liu the meditation techniques of Bagua. However, the person whom Liu credited with teaching him the most about Bagua, both in terms of its meditation work and in the mastery of qi, was Ma Gui. One of the top four students of Dong Hai Chuan, Ma took no formal disciples. However, Ma liked Liu Hong Jie and introduced him to the higher level energy work that Ma had learned from Dong Hai Chuan, the founder. Very old at the time and fond of drinking, Ma said that it was a pity he had not met Liu when he was younger. Liu Hongjie always said that although his Bagua movements were basically those of the Cheng school, the most critical aspect of his internal qi work came from Ma Gui. So that's a pretty interesting section there. It's, he says that Ma Gui was really into the Bagua meditation techniques and the, and the internal qi work. Yeah, um, that pretty much tracks with what I've been told. Um, you know. I mean, because if you go to BK Francis's class, he teaches a lot of that type of stuff. That's what he's all about. I mean, it sounds like those guys shared an enjoyment and love for the meditative side of things that, again, lots of Bagua schools don't. They don't care about that. And for good reason. They're too busy training to kick ass. Like if they if they don't want to, it's there's no it's not like you're worse for not having it. It's just that some people were more into it than others, I think, is a point we've tried to make over the years 
I as we've explored these different teachers. I would say you would be worse for it if you don't actually address some of the mental things that go along with doing martial arts. So mm. I, I kind of disagree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, expand on that. What I do you think, mean? Well, I mean, I think what all of these guys were talking about was that if you're going to do martial arts, you also have to do something to calm your mind. Mm. And this happens to have a built-in method of, you know, you can do it while you do your martial art. But uh, it's right, two for one you don't you don't just do one and not the other is all of these guys have said that from you know it's true you know every single dude we've talked about has, has said you know you have to do something they don't know you know it's not always the same thing <laughs> amount or the same thing but there's you've got to do, do something, something. otherwise <laughs> you know it's, that's a good takeaway because uh, we have seen that thread between all the different teachers. Now, maybe, well, I mean, even if we go back to the Shingy guys we were talking about earlier this season, plenty of them had that same connection to either Taoist meditation or Buddhist meditation or some kind of inner energy work that, that grounded them and gave them a uh, deeper all sense of them of had something of them. about either doing, connecting to the microcosmic orbit, the breathing. Um, the Dantian, for the sure, Dantian. comes up these, over and over. These are all parts of if not the whole piece of getting your mind to be centered and calm when you do martial arts and not just go you know ape shit when you right you know the, and the slightest thing happens you know right and, um and i think that may be a part of mogwi's reluctance to teach a lot of people also hmm. i mean one of the yeah. stories i heard is that he early on had a student who kind of did something uncool or something like that and so that kind of soured him on mm. it. And so he wasn't as willing to, to, you know, give it freely because it was like, well, what are you going to do with this? If I give it to you. Mm -hmm. um, similar, and, and the meditation you know, stuff's not easy. I mean, it's, that's hard work to teach and to learn. So I can see, right. well, wouldn't want to just throw that around. And they're not doing the meditation stuff when they're 20 either. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's the other part of this is most of these guys, they're not saying, you know, when you're, when you start out, you right. should be a, 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 you know, a Taoist meditation master. They're right. saying <laughs> the practice eventually gets you Can to lead the you point direction. of being, you know, you know, of, of addressing the sort of mental aspect of this whole thing right. and spiritual aspect of it. But you know, back to this, it's like, I think Mogui was, um, you know, like Leo Hung Jae seemingly like Dong Hai Chuan and Chen Tinghua had this interest in meditation as a subject right also fit with you know you know Ba Gua Zhang because right. you had a meditation based on the I Ching and you have a martial art based on the I Ching and they kind of you know it, it's fairly melds, natural connection right, there. It, it melds together pretty easily right it's easy easy connection to make. And yeah, that, that's the same point I was sensing here too, of like, this is a, this side of the art is especially emphasized by master Magui and by master Leo Hung Jay were just bottom line. They liked it. They were into it and it's part of their school. So you're going to, you're going to encounter that when you train in their system. I mean, there's, there's the same parallel in samurais in Japan, right. Or whatever. I mean, sure. Any, Lots Asian of fighting arts always incorporate always some have, kind of spirituality. Right. They don't yeah. always do it at the same time, 
that's i think the unique thing hmm. about bagua is that it's meditate out separately you do zen meditation or something well within your forms you have a meditation rather hmm. than you know doing a seated meditation and then doing martial arts which works right. just fine too wu style tai chi has a meditation tradition because wu jin chuang was into meditation the yang style tai chi doesn't really have a meditation tradition because Zhang Wu Chan and Yang Cheng Fu weren't that into meditation right. you know, as a as a thing. <laughs> so, you know, it just didn't become right. part of Not that. everyone loves it. Right. So <laughs> uh, that was the thing that Liu Hongjie had in common with Wu Jin Chuan. It's the thing he had in common with Liu Jinglin. It's the thing he had in common with probably most of the people that he trained with because that's what he was attracted to. Right. After a certain point in his life, that's what he was most excited about. So he just kept following that thread eventually going way out into the mountains to find more people to do it with way out there so like you could tell right well that's going crazy to the point of not caring about the martial arts at all and right. just wanting to do the yeah, abandoning your friends and family for a decade is like yeah that that's also a fairly i mean extreme <laughs> um you know in the patreon episode we talked about his buddhist teacher Tanshu, right. and he did mm. the same thing right he mm -hmm. took off and you know yeah left his family and went and meditated for a couple some, decades some so people got to do it you know that is well and i think it's more acceptable or was more acceptable at that time to if you will pursue a spiritual path right that part of the you know cultural thing was well if you've done your familial duties you've had your child and you've you know, taken care of your wife and they're set up uh, if you want to go spend a few years in the mountains that you're you're culturally allowed to do that right and so if it, you got the dough, go for it. it well i don't think it was seen as like a negative thing to uh say i'm gonna go spend you know a few years in the monastery and find myself i mean i guess you know one's wife might be concerned but you're right there's I a mean, cultural from, there's a cultural precedent for that 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 doesn't exist in in the west at this point that's for yeah, sure i mean i don't i've only heard bruce talk about leo's family in very limited amounts but right from what i understand there was no you know they weren't mad at him for doing it it was like you know that was what he wanted to do and they were fine with their lives and he set them up and i don't think it was like you know had no contact with them it was hmm. just you know yeah, that's a that's a pretty mysterious period of time for sure. So I wanted to pull something else from this background that's in the same little appendix here. Uh, early in his Bagua training, Liu Hung Jae also studied Yin Fu's walking method. He trained with some of Yin Fu's students who worked out at Cheng Yulong's Bagua school. At that time, Bagua was one school without branches. It was only later that the styles became separated. So he did meet, you know, here he's saying exactly in the book that he trained with some of Yin Fu's students at the Bagua school where he was enrolled. So that would include potentially a guy like Ma Gui, although hard to say, but almost definitely the other student of Yin Fu, Li Yongqing, who we'll talk about in the near future. So now I wanted to turn to the a little bit more out of the uh, Appendix B section here in Power of Internal Martial Arts. He gives a little bit of Ma Gui's background, which is similar to what we said before. Magui studied with Yin Fu for the first several years of his Bagua training and afterwards studied directly with Dong Hai Chuan in his house. Much of the firsthand history of Bagua given to the author came directly from Liu Hung Jie, who heard it directly from Magui Ma when he was Ma's private student. Ma took no formal disciples and he taught Liu only when he was older. 
Ma did not like to teach. He owned a successful lumber business in which he made enough money to make it unnecessary for him to earn his living as a professional Bagua teacher. Ma Gui told Liu Hong Jie how Dong Haichuan, the founder, had taught. Dong frequently would sit with his eyes closed, describe every motion Ma was making, and tell him to adjust it one way or another. Dong used to sit and meditate for hours every day. The basis of his martial power, at least according to Ma Gui, was at least as much due to his sitting practices, which were pure Taoist meditation, as to his martial arts techniques. There you that's, go. That's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Ma would practice, you know, moving around, and Dong Dong would would have his eyes closed and adjust him and describe what he was doing and tell him, to, you know, how to improve it. Mm-hmm. What What do you call that? I mean, that's the, that's the transmission. I mean, if you've ever uh, had that experience, you know exactly what it feels like. And if you haven't, you probably think I sound crazy, Um, (laughs) but there is a piece of this stuff that, you know, there's a mind to mind transmission that takes place. And if the person knows how to do it, it's freaking wild. And um, sounds like that's what he's talking about is that ability to, now, you know, that whole thing of like having your eyes closed, that's a whole next level. But, um, you know, there is an energetic transmission that happens in this stuff. And you can do it just by smacking somebody around. You can do it by grabbing them and twisting their body and physically adjusting them. Mm-hmm. You can do it by making funny sounds. You can do it by directly putting your intent into their body. And that's what he's talking about is you can you know transmit what you're doing into another person and that's how this stuff was taught originally it wasn't taught through uh, a whole lot of talking it was taught through you do it the teacher kind of blasts you with this imprint of what it feels like and you spend the rest of your damn life trying to to, to emulate that feeling of what it felt like when they did it to you and so mm. it's like you get the seed when they do the transmission and you do the practice to grow the seed and this is right. how me- this is how buddhist meditation works this is how Taoist meditation works you go to the teacher they give you the empowerment and then you sit for 10 years and try to make that thing happen it's right no diff- it's no different with this stuff there's a uh direct tradition of Bagua Zhang as a meditative art connecting it to the Yi Jang and for every movement there is a meditative sort of energetic thing that you're doing um you know so like I said if you are into that sort of thing it's pretty cool and if you're not you think it'll sound nuts right now <laughs> right <laughs> I wanted to pull another paragraph here where BK Francis talks about his training with Liu Hongjie Liu told how his teacher, Ma Gui, used to practice with swords or empty-handed while Dong Aichuan was sitting meditating. With his eyes closed, Dong would correct Ma and tell him what to do. When Liu did it to me, I could feel his energy bubbling inside my system. He did not say anything. His energy would simply start coming through. His method of teaching involved some physical correction and instruction, but he relied primarily on such qi transmissions. So yeah, that's definitely a little bit out there but sounds pretty damn cool. Well, I mean, again, it, it, if you take the founders on their word and you believe, you know, say, okay, well, if they're saying that's what it is, then that's how you do these sorts of things. I mean, they don't write 
down, uh, you do a mind to mind transmission because it was kind of common knowledge that if you wanted to get a spiritual thing, you had to do that. Mm. Uh, that when they talk about, you know, um, <clears throat> developing the, the heavenly orbit or the, the bellows way or any mm -hmm. of these Taoist techniques, what they're really saying is you got to go find yourself a teacher who can teach you how to do this stuff. Right. And hopefully it's your Bagua teacher. But if it isn't, then, you know, you got right. That would make things it. simpler if, if you could learn yeah. both from one place. Although the training, you know, one note about that is like, if you want to do meditation and martial arts, it's twice the work. It might even be 10 times as much work yeah. to, to add all that stuff to it is a pain in the ass. Like it's, it takes tons of mental effort to, to try and tap into that stuff. Now you, it, you take it one day at a time and put some work into it. But if you mm. want to learn two different things, you, you got to work twice as hard. That's pretty much the rule. I've always seen it as there are three aspects to all of these arts. There's the health part. So the physical sort of fitness aspect of it, there's the martial art part of it. And then there's the mental slash you know spiritual part of it mm -hmm. right and any of these arts can be a container for all three or just one of those right shingy the least as far as just being a meditative art but um you know the the idea that uh we'll probably get to more of this later but you know there are people in mountains in tibet who just walk circles they don't do bagua they just walk in circles. Right. And, you know, they go round and round and round while they meditate. And it's the same thing. It's just their container doesn't contain any martial arts. Right. Right. So right. Bruce will often talk about uh, the monastic Bagua in quotation marks, which doesn't exist. Right. He doesn't mean Bagua, the martial art means monastic circle walking. Right. Within That's, Taoism. Right. That he means Taoist monastic you know meditative circle walking that has nothing right. to do with the martial that's just sort of a shortened phrase from monastic circle walking techniques that were transmitted to people who turned it into a martial art which then transmitted right. to people who's also like Taoism, and it it circles back in on itself the same so way you say meditative bagua is your shortcut but like right the same way when you do something like energy gates it's a container for most of the things you do when you do something like tai chi right it it it's the same sort of thing. It, it can be that container, but it doesn't have to be that, that form, right? So the Bagua meditation, the Tai Chi meditation, and the sitting meditation all basically use the same uh, methods, right? Same techniques. And it's just about what sort of mode of transportation you're doing it right so there's there's five modes of prep of practice right you can lie down you can sit down you can stand up you can move and you can uh interact with another person right so the moving standing interacting with another person are the ones that tend to be focused on in something like bagua jump right um the lying down stuff not so much uh, so you know they kind of have their place but this is just sort of one mode of doing it is to do right. it within a movie yeah that's like a lesson we keep coming across again and again how 
you can use it's just it's an amazing part of especially asian martial arts and asian meditative traditions that there's there's ways to move as well as as to pray or to sit and meditate there's there's this physical side to it that is is pretty interesting and enriching i think yeah well there was a melding i mean i think that's just from being around for so long is but there's a melding right. between old. the um the Taoist sort of spiritual tradition and the Taoist health tradition, the 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 you know, acupuncture, qigong side of things, right? That at some point they sort of somebody started to do them at you know say, hey, we can kind of mix these two things up. It seems like the 20th century, a lot of old stuff kind of conglomerated and coalesced and like came became more codified, kind of, it seems like. That's my impression. That's another way of saying a lot of it got eliminated. Right, a lot of it got machine gunned out. Well, of and what was left had to had to solidify in some way in order to keep going because you know it was you were up against a, a force that wanted to destroy you. So it made a lot of sense not to s- spread yourself. Right, don't thin, stick your you neck know. out. Right, everybody sort of retreat. I mean, I imagine that must go through history. There's. There's times of expansion and innovation, and there's times of conservative regathering and martial arts yeah. is going mm-hmm. through those waves. But there was a whole movement in, uh, I mean, all over the world, essentially, in the 1920s and 30s to sort of modernize literature and art and all of these things. And um, martial arts was no different. There was a whole movement to kind of take the mysticism out of it mm-hmm. and make it accessible to you know the modern man right and then later you know people would sort of some put some of the mysticism back in every so often because For sure it would kill it would sort of get popular right if that rises that. back in popularity you got to put it back in but, you know that's just how these these arts kind of work because what i think is starting to creep into the sort of sport part of martial arts is that um it's what i keep talking about which is what happens afterward Mm. Mm -hmm. after you fight where does your mind go you know what what damage was done to your body and if you start looking at these guys as they get older it's pretty um, evident that a lot of these dudes aren't taking care of their minds and their bodies very well that they're yeah contact sports takes a toll they're they're running hard when they're young and when they get older it's drugs and alcohol to right keep yourself from you know feeling how fucked up you are i mean think of the old time boxing that frank allen was telling us where that in between rounds you take shots at gin not water oh well i mean <laughs> that was knuckle. that like, didn't matter what sport you were doing right then, you fucking know. wagging yourself out well i wanted to pull one more little story here about Magui from the Back of Power of Internal Martial Arts, the story of Bagua versus Tai Chi. Mm. It says, one well-known story about Magui goes as follows. Yang Luchan of Yang Family Tai Chi had three students, his three top students. One was Chen Wu, who created the Wu-style Tai Chi, known for his transformational energy. Then there was Ling Shan, who had the soft energy, and Wang Chun had the hard energy of Tai Chi. On one occasion, Wang Chun and Magui came to blows. Wang Chun went flying out the door twice, and the second time taking the door with him. This incident is probably the only reported case of fighting between top Tai Chi and Bagua people. As a rule in the Bagua school, there has never been bad blood with any members of the Tai Chi school. 
as has sometimes been the case between other martial arts systems. Tai Chi and Bagua share most of the same principles. They differ only in the specific ways in which they apply those principles. Hey folks, uh, Isaac here. Just a quick reminder, check out the Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. Like and subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, also check out the Patreon for interviews, exclusive episodes, and bonus content. All right, take care of yourself and thanks for listening.